Welcome back to the Book of Mormon with Grandma. Well, we've gone back to pick up chapter 12 and talk about some of the things that Nephi thought were important. I think we'll also see some changes from the Old Testament Isaiah to the Book of Mormon Isaiah. Not big ones, but different words from time to time that seem to make it make more sense. Most of the chapters talk about the future, and that's why Nephi chose them. Again, remember that these cannot be read like a narrative. Isaiah did not write them all at one setting. Instead, we have to look at each chapter as a separate prophecy. John Welch says, Tradition says that they were all collected in the days of King Hezekiah about 40 years after Isaiah died, and we don't know who put them in the order they come in, so in the book of Isaiah. So that's why they tend to be all separate prophecies. But again, some might have a similar theme. But Nephi chose those that spoke of the future, and I would think to give hope to his people. So chapters 12, 13, and 14 seem to fit together, so we're going to try to get through those today. It talks about the gathering of Israel and the millennium and the second coming and what will happen to the wicked in that time. And he also sees a temple being built that will bring everyone to it. Let's start in verse uh, in 12, verse 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days when the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. So we know that the Lord's house is the temple. The mountain would be a symbol for them to know that's where the Lord is. Think about how many references we have to mountains in the scriptures. Moses went up to a mountain to talk to the Lord. Jesus went up to a mountain to be with the Lord. Peter, James, and John went up with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration. Nephi went up to a mountain to talk with the Lord. So the Jews and Nephi's people would understand that symbol, that it would be a place where the Lord is. Okay, back to three. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So Elder Legrand Richards said that the Salt Lake Temple was the very one which Isaiah saw. Though there would be many temples that would follow after, and certainly the one in Independence, Missouri, will be the last here that will be built. We learned in Revelation that there will be two Jerusalems, one in the Old City and one here in the Americas in Missouri called the New Jerusalem. And since it would be impossible for everyone to come to the one mountain of the Lord's house in Salt Lake City, we have many temples where the Lord will teach us of his ways so that we can walk in his paths. President Harold B. Lee said that the establishment of the kingdom of God on the 6th of April, 1830, was the commencement of the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3. The temple could not be built until the kingdom was established. And Orson Pratt said, With the coming of the pioneers to establish the church in the tops of the mountains, our early leaders declared this to be the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecy that out of Zion should go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He said further, what law? A law to regulate the nations, a law teaching them how to be saved, a law informing the kings and emperors and the nobles of the earth how they can save themselves and how they can save their dead. That was Orson Pratt. We attended a temple open house recently, and as I was walking through the tour, we stopped at one of the instruction rooms, and my granddaughter said, what's in there? I said, well, this is where we learn about the plan of salvation and the things the Lord wants us to know so we can do what he would like us to do. And that is part of what we learn in verse 3, teaching us his ways so that we can walk in his paths. 
I wonder how Isaiah feels today when he sees temples dotting the earth and millions of members attending the temple to be taught his ways and walk in his paths. I bet it would be interesting to see what he knows now or what he thinks now. Okay, let's go back to verse 4. And he shall judge among the nations, and he shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they war learn war any more. So what are the four things that Isaiah talks about in this scripture that will help bring in the millennial reign? Well, number one is we will beat swords into plowshares. Plowshares are used to loosen the soil. So we will now be making make tools to be productive with our swords. Number two is spears into pruning hooks. Same thing, we'll be making productive farming tools. Number three, nation will not lift up the sword against another nation. There will be peace. And the fourth one, we will not learn war anymore. This begins the millennial reign when there will be no more fighting, no more war. This shows my age, but it's always made me think of the Eagle song. But couldn't we use some of those things now? Couldn't we turn some of our war things into um, things of that were productive? Okay, let's go back to verse 5. Now, this verse is probably more changed in the Book of Mormon than the one we would read in the Old Testament. The Old Testament says, O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk, uh, walk in the light of the Lord. The Book of Mormon adds these changes. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Yea, come, for ye have all gone astray, every one to his wicked ways. It's amazing that anyone would not want to walk in the light of the Lord. I hate to be in darkness anywhere, outside, a dark room. It's beyond me why anyone would prefer darkness over light. But here we see now how Isaiah describes what some of their wicked ways are. Okay, this is in verse 6. Therefore, O Lord, thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east, and hearken unto soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves in the children of strangers. Replenished from the east means they had started to adopt the ways of eastern religions. Soothsayer is someone who practices witchcraft or sorcery. And please themselves in the children of strangers meant they were marrying foreigners, who are not part of covenant Israel. Okay, back to seven. Their land is their land also is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses. Neither is there any end of their chariots. So they have money, are material minded. I laugh because it almost like their land is full of horses. It's like saying their garage is full of cars. Why do they need all those cars? Okay, back to eight. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. They worship everything but God. Remember when I read that verse about being full of their own light? Often we hear this today. I worked hard for what I have, not even thinking that the Lord had blessed them with what they have. Maybe he didn't give them their cars, but the Lord blessed them with knowledge to work and do and with talents to be able to do what they do. But when they begin to think that they are the reason they're successful and have all these things, then they're in apostasy. Okay, back to nine. And the mean man boweth not down, and the great man humbleth himself not. Therefore, forgive him not. No one is humble. Okay, here's another one. 
And these are in 13, so here's a few. Verse 5, And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. The wicked shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, and the base against the honorable. Imagine living in a world where anarchy reigns, and there are gangs everywhere, even our neighbors are against us, and children no longer respect their elders, and older people are looked down on, and the last one, no respect for authority. Wait. You say, I think we do see some of this today. Yes, in many ways we do see that today. Those Isaiah's talking about Jerusalem and the sins of the Jews, we can see the things that brought them down. We too are seeing very similar things in our own time. Okay, here's one more, verse 8. For Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen because their tongues and their doings have been against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. Everything they're doing is against what the Lord wants them to do, wants us to do. And in verse 9, this is how they begin to look. The show of their countenance doth witness against them and doth declare their sin to be even as Sodom, and they cannot hide it. Woe unto their souls, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. What is countenance? Well, it's the way we appear, particularly on our face. So do you think it's possible then for our countenance to witness against us, that they would see it on ourselves, on our bodies, and uh, particularly on our face? Yes. Even if someone else might not see it, the meaning themselves, we can't hide ourselves from the Lord. I found this, um, this quote by Elder Spencer V. Jones. He was, I think he was of the 70. He said this, at times consequences of sin may appear to be very subtle to the sinner. We may even convince ourselves that no one will be able to detect our sins and that they are well concealed, but always to our heavenly father and often to spiritually sensitive leaders, parents, and friends, our sins are glaringly apparent. While attending a youth fireside with Elder Richard G. Scott, I noticed five youths scattered among the congregation whose countenances or body language almost screamed that something was spiritually amiss in their lives. After the meeting, when I mentioned the five youths to Elder Scott, he simply replied, there were eight. That was uh, in his talk, Overcoming the Stench of Sin. Amazing that those who are aware can see things in people's lives that are amiss because people's countenances have changed. You kind of have to laugh at Jeremiah's description of the people of his day who were wicked and sinful. This is how he describes him. It always, it kind of always makes me laugh. This is in Jeremiah 6, uh, verse 15. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. They weren't even ashamed of their wicked behavior, and they didn't even blush about it when they were called on it. Now that is awful. Okay, let's go into chapter 14. This talks about the redemption of the people in the last days, and the Lord will offer protection from the storms of life. It's a short chapter, but I'm just going to pick out um, a couple of things there. We've had several storms lately that have been more than we've ever seen here where I live. But where Megan lives, the storms have been really harsh and have done quite a bit of damage. In the last days when things are at their worst, Isaiah tells us some things that will help us find some spiritual protection when there are storms that happen, whether they are spiritual storms or actual physical storms when things get bad. 
This is chapter 14, verse 5 and 6. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory of Zion shall be a defense, and there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and a covert from storm and from rain. So what do you think the dwelling place, he's saying, will create a dwelling place of Mount Zion? What would that dwelling place could be? It could be our homes. And what about assemblies, our ward buildings and stake centers, and a tabernacle, temples? A covert is a shelter from the storm and the rain. We can find refuge from whatever storms arise in our lives, either real or spiritual. When it's raining, we're grateful for a nice, safe place to protect us from the rain. But when we need some spiritual protection, we can find it in church or in the temple. I think I told you about my experience during Proposition 8 when they protested outside the temple and tried to get into the temple. But for us inside, we couldn't hear them. And we continued on with the ordinances that needed to be done until they told us it was time to leave. But we knew we were protected inside the temple. Terry Ball, who is a professor of ancient scripture at BYU, said, We can find hope, courage, and comfort in knowing that it's possible to remain a faithful branch of the Lord, even while living in a very wicked world. Isaiah describes those who stay faithful under such conditions as them that are escaped, perhaps meaning that they may have not been caught up or led astray by the adversary. That was Terry Ball. I know that there's so much we will miss by going fast through these scriptures, but hopefully I've hit on some important things that matter. Maybe you'll find some that you love more. Again, use Nephi's admonition to liken the scriptures to yourself. Find something in them that speaks to you or helps you understand your time and place and self better. Maybe even something you'd like to change. So, until next time. 